Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. We've been talking about uh, David the last couple of Sundays. We'll finish it up next Sunday. But there are some very difficult things to hear in the passage that we're going to discuss today. Difficult things to say. You know, the Bible and the Holy Spirit has made it very clear to me that I am to never edit this book for you. I may explain it, give you interpretation of it, but I am never to edit what it says. And I am to never make it politically correct, ever. I'm never to make it so that it tickles the ears instead of breaking the heart. And so I always want to give you unfiltered, the way it's written, straight from the book itself, what God has to say. So when you get upset about something, take it up with the author. So we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 6. I remember reading this story when I was a lot younger, and I got to a certain part in this story, and I remember thinking to myself, that just doesn't seem fair. That doesn't make any sense to me. So I I want us to deal with that because my guess is if you've read this story, you may have had some of the same thoughts. 2 Samuel chapter 6, it says, Then David again gathered all the elite troops of Israel, 30,000 in all, and he led them to uh, Bala of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. So what is the ark? When Israel left Egypt, God instructed them to construct a large wooden box and then overlay it inside and out with gold. And that that was going to be the place where God's presence would dwell among them. Now, the ark is a perfect, beautiful picture of your salvation. Now, that wood, wood is nothing but a dead tree, something that used to be alive. Then once you cut it down, it became dead and it's just a piece of wood. And that describes you and me. Because of our sin, we were dead. We were dead in our sins. We were dead in our relationship with God because of our sins. But when Jesus came into our lives, God placed us in Jesus, and then Jesus is in us. So the gold is on the inside and the outside. So Jesus is in us, and Jesus is a part of us, he is us, and we, we are covered in the glory of Jesus. And that way you don't see the wood at all. You don't see your deadness at all because of Jesus Christ. So the ark is a beautiful picture of your salvation. Now, the ark of the covenant, on top of it, it had two golden angels, cherubims, and they sat on top of what's called the mercy seat. And those cherubims, they were facing each other, but their heads were bowed. And um, it was placed in the tabernacle in the place called Holy of Holies. It's the only thing that was ever placed in there. And then once a year, 
the high priest was allowed to go in there only once and he would take blood from the sacrifice and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. The mercy seat is what covered the, the Ark of the Covenant and, uh, and that would represent, it would signify that one day God would provide a permanent sacrifice for our sin. So everything that God had people to do in the Old Testament was preparing them to understand the coming of the Messiah. And so the Ark of the Covenant represented that. Now inside the Ark, there were three things. There was a jar of manna for 40 years while the Israelites were wandering around in the desert. Every time they messed up, God make it, made them take another lap around the desert. And so they did that for 40 years. But God provided for them and he fed them every day with this thing called manna. And so there was a jar of manna which signifies God's provision. So our salvation is God's provision, not anything we can do and provide for ourselves. Then there are the two tablets of the Ten Commandments that represents or is God's law. And so God's law is what matters, not man's laws, but God's laws. And then what's really cool Aaron, who was the brother of Moses, and he was, he was the speaker, the spokesperson for Moses. Moses had a kind of a stuttering problem, and so he didn't want to be the speaker. And so God made Aaron the speaker. <clears throat> and so Aaron had this rod, and a rod is a piece of wood, which is a dead tree. And out of that dead piece of wood, became there there uh, came a budding a bloom kind of like an apple grew out of it which that's not supposed to happen i mean it was dead but yet it it budded which tells us and it's it shows us god's miraculous power and so aaron's rod was inside the covenant ark of the covenant as well and so God's miraculous power, he can bring life out of death in the death of your sinful nature. In the dead, when you were dead in your sins, God brought life to you and God has given you the commandments of how to live. And then he's given you provision. He says, I will take care of you. I will meet your needs. So that's what the Ark of the Covenant is. Now, where is David going to bring it back from? Well, if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 5, you have the story about the people of Israel had been disobedient to God, and uh, they went out to do battle against the Philistines, and they just got whooped. And so they came back, instead of being repentant and going to God and said, God, there's obviously sin in the camp. We've done something wrong. No, they said, let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. They thought the ark was kind of like their rabbit foot, the four-leaf clover. If we have this, we're okay. God will, God is guarantee us that he's going to do this. And, and that's just not true either. Sometimes when you pray, as long as I pray in the name of Jesus, God is obligated to answer my prayer. Not necessarily. And so God was not obligated to give them victory just because they had the ark, because they had a sin issue, and God was going to deal with that. So in the second battle, they lost the battle, and they also lost the ark, the ark of the covenant. And so the ark of the covenant was taken. They captured it. 
They took it as a trophy to their main city, and they put it in the temple of their god, their god of war called Dagon, and they put it in there, and they were basically saying, look at how strong our god is over Israel's god. Well, nightfall came, everybody went home. The next morning, the priest to the war of God, the god of war, went into their temple, and the statue of Dagon was laying on its face in front of the ark. Wow. It's kind of like God pulled a fraternity prank on them. <laughs> and they said, oh, well, we can't have this. Something weird happened. So they had to prop up their God again. And I want to tell you something. Whenever you have to prop up your God, he's not a God. God never needs to be propped up, the God. So whatever God you're worshiping, if you have to prop him up, make excuses for him, he's not a God. So the next day, the priests come back in. This time, the, the God of war was face down, except his head and his hands were gone, not to be found. And then, all of a sudden, all the people in that city started developing tumors all over their bodies. And then a horde of mice came in and raided the city and people started dying left and right. And so these priests said, you know what? We need to get rid of this thing. And so they pack it, packed it up and they sent it to another city. And uh, so when that next city, a Philistine city got it, they unwrapped it and they, they re-gifted the Ark of the God. <laughs> they re-gifted that thing. And so when the next city got it and uh, they unwrapped it, they said, whoa, we, we've heard about this thing. We don't want it. And sure enough, same thing started happening. The tumors came, the mice came, people started dying. They re-gifted it again to a third city. And, and they, you know, they said, call me superstitious, but we got to get rid of this ark. And, and so after, they, after that started happening, they, they called their priests together and they said, we got to get rid of this thing. So they made a wooden cart and they took a couple of cows or bulls or whatever, and they were going to get rid of it. But they decided, the priest said, you know what? We need to show, we need to show a, I'm sorry to their God. So we're going to make some golden trinkets. So they made some golden things that look like tumors. Golly, can you imagine that? They made golden tumors and golden mice. And they put it on the cart with the, with the Ark of the Covenant. It's kind of like when your preschooler made something for you in Sunday school and they took it home and he's like, what is this? <laughs> oh my goodness. And they try to explain it to you and you say, oh yeah, I see it now. <laughs> and uh, anyway, they, so they, they thought, all right, how are we gonna get it there? And they said, well, let's just get them started. But what was amazing, the animals took off and they headed straight to Jerusalem on their own as if they were being guided by God himself. And so the Philistines followed just to make sure once it got all across the border, then they said, okay, it's out of our hands now. So then the ark shows up and uh, to a house, to a guy in Israel named uh, Shemesh, and he recognized immediately what it was. And so he took it and um, 
he, um, he puts it, he offers the cows for a sacrifice. He burns the cart and uses it wood for offering. And then he puts the Ark of the Covenant in his house. Well, there was about, it became a really curious, you know, curiosity thing. And so like 70 Israelite men came to look at the Ark. And the guys opened up the lid. And all 70 of them fell dead. Just like that. Just for opening the lid. And so Shemesh says, I don't want this thing in my house. I want to get rid of this thing. And so he called some priests together. And they came and they took the ark and they took it to a house of a guy, of a guy named Abinadab. Now, Abinadab put it in like his guest room in his tent, and it stayed there for 20 years. And anybody, anytime anybody came to his tent and said, hey, what, what you got in there? And Abinadab said, I wouldn't go in there if I was you, because you won't be coming out. And so it, this is 20 years later. So now, that's in 1 Samuel 5. Now we're in 2 Samuel 6. And David is saying, I want the ark back. Saul didn't want it, but David did. David says, I want God's presence back. So David understood what the ark was. It was God's presence. So now we're going back to 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning at verse 3. So they go and they, get the, they go and get the ark. They place the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from uh, Abinadab's house, which was built on a hill. Now, these two guys, uh, Uzzah and Aho, uh, Ahio, and, uh, and then their sons, they were guiding the cart, and they carried the cart with the Ark of God. And, um, and as they were doing that, David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord. They were worshiping. They were singing songs. They were playing all kinds of instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, cymbals. They had a Hammond organ. They were probably playing that as well. I don't know. But they were worshiping God. Verse 6. This is where, this is where it gets like, what is going on? But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon... The oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. I remember the first time I read this, and it's kind of like, this makes no sense. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. Wow. David was angry because of the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. And uh, now, how many of you understand this reaction? First, one of the things I love about the Bible is how honest it is. It tells us just like it was. And David's looking at God and said, God, he was trying to do you a favor. Come on, isn't that a little harsh? The reason I say that is sometimes people encounter truths about God in the Bible and they struggle with it. 
sometimes even feel offended. Sometimes, sometimes we assume that we're the first generation in history because we're enlightened to be offended by the Bible. But the Bible's been offending people for ages, even some of its writers, like David. I had someone recently talk to me about struggling in their faith. And they said, it's not that I don't believe in God. Sometimes I just don't know if I like him. They said, I don't understand. If he made everything, why does he allow suffering to continue? Why does he allow innocent people to suffer? I just don't understand that. David gets this. David was angry because he perceived as usual, he, he perceived that this was an unusually harsh judgment. And he's not the first one to think that. So here's the point. Don't be ignorant or arrogant to assume that we're the first people in history to be offended just because we have college degrees, we have education, we have all these books that we read. Listen, the gospel itself is offensive to a lot of people. Verse six, David was now afraid of God. And he asked, how can I ever bring, how can I ever bring back, bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obedidom. Now, here, here's a problem of God's presence. The ark is God's presence. It brings his blessing. It gives David a source of strength and courage and security and identity. And get, David wants to know the all-power creator behind the ark. However, the problem is that the ark, God's presence, can also cause great destruction. Not just for the Philistines, but it killed a bunch of Israelites as well. And so here, this is why I called the message today, God Decides. God Decides. Uzzah here, I mean, he... It looks like he was doing God a favor. And, and he was saying, hey, I can't let the Ark of the Covenant touch the dirty dirt, the ground. It'll get dirty. I can't do that. And I, I think probably his heart was good at that point, but he died because of it. And, and so we think the punishment is way too severe for the crime. In fact, when that happens... In our minds, we think, that's injustice. That's just not just. That's not fair. So here's the Bible's premise that I want to give to you straight up without apology. The punishment was not more severe than the crime. It wasn't. There's a couple of things going on here. First, God had given very specific instructions about how the ark was to be carried. 
Two poles had been made and two, four golden rings, one at each corner. And the poles slid through those rings and the poles were never to leave the ark, never to be removed. And then the ark was covered with a cloth and it was only to be carried. And if they had carried it properly, this would have never happened. And they carried it like the Philistines did. So really, the bottom line is David is responsible for what happened to Uzziah. I mean, he's responsible for that. You know, this story alone tells me that there's a false premise or idea that we have. I'll decide how I'm going to worship God. I'll decide how I'm going to deal with God. I will decide what worship looks like for me. As long as I'm sincere, that's all that matters. I mean, have you ever heard somebody say, hey, believe what you want, but as long as you're sincere about it, it's okay? Well, that's not the way it works. So I would say that the message here is pretty clear that God decides how he would be worshiped. And so Uzzah and David were not approaching God the way God instructed that he would be approached or worshiped. Second, Uzzah was aware, unaware of his own sinfulness. I mean, he sees the ark about to touch the ground and he wants to protect the, the ark from getting dirty. And uh, <clears throat> Uzzah assumed that his hand was less dirty than the ground. The, you know, the earth has never committed blasphemy for rejecting God. The earth has always obeyed every command of God. Do you know that? Always has. It always does exactly what God tells it to do. And so the reality is, Uzzah, as a sinner, God saw his hand filthy with sin. And it only took one sin to make his hand filthy, filthy, only one. So write this down. The reason you and I don't understand the judgment of God is that we don't understand the wickedness of our sinfulness. We think if we compare ourselves to other people, we can lessen the severity of our sinfulness. I'm not as bad as. I've never done that. But that's not how God looks at your, at your life. The reason we don't understand the judgment of God is we don't understand the wickedness of our sin. So let me bring it down to us. Because you know, none of us has ever seen the ark. The ark hadn't been, hadn't been seen in 2,500 years, except that one time Harrison Ford saw it. And, uh, but most of us think, most of us, uh, let's go ahead and face it. Most of us think that hell is too severe of your sins, for your sins. But here's what God says. One sin makes you unclean. One sin is enough to separate you from a holy God. 
One sin is enough to send you to eternal punishment. That's the hard truth of scripture. You know, you and I don't have a problem thinking about the Hitlers of the world going to hell. And by comparison, I'm not that bad. But not the way God looks at you. One sin, he turns his back on you. And that's why you needed Jesus. That's why you needed Jesus. It's kind of like the same thing with the cross. Jesus went to the cross. I mean, his body was torn and shredded. The Bible says he didn't even look like a man. They pulled clumps of his beard out. They pierced his skull with thorns, put nails in his body. And he did that for our sins. And here's the deal. If you had been the only sinner ever, he still would have done it for you. You would have needed him to do that. And you may think, I'm not that bad of a person. Jesus wouldn't have to die for me like that because I'm not that bad of a person. And God unfortunately says, oh, yes, you are. You're a sinner. And God doesn't overreact. The cross was just penalty. It was just penalty for our sin. Our sin, listen, is unspeakable wickedness. And the fact that we don't see the wickedness of our sin is part of our problem. You know, Adam and Eve made a choice. They committed cosmic treason. And you want to say, well, I'm not Adam and Eve, but you would have done the same thing. You would have done the same thing. The punishment is not too severe for the crime. God is holy and he will never tolerate impurity. Never. Uzzah touched the ark and he died. And you and I, except for the death of Jesus, deserve the same. But praise God, when you pray to receive Christ and you ask him into your life, all of God's wrath poured out on him for your sins. And here's the great thing. There's not one drop of God's wrath left for you to experience because Jesus took it for you. Praise God. Praise God for that. Let's look at verse 11. The ark of the Lord remained in Abedadim's house for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edeb's household and everything he has because of the Ark of Covenant, or the Ark of God. So David went there and brought the Ark of God from the house, and he brought it to the city. And after the men who were carrying the Ark of the Lord uh, had gone six steps, David would sacrifice the bull and fatted calf. In other words, 
He did it right. He did it the way God instructed. It was being done correctly. And the ark's gospel was being proclaimed. So David is having it carried the right way, not the Philistine way. And he offered sacrifices. And God has provided a way for his presence to be among us. That's why they would take that blood from the sacrifice and they'd place it on the mercy seat. Jesus' blood on the mercy seat of God was sufficient for your sins. You know, I find it interesting. Those two cherubim angels that uh, were on top of the Ark of the Covenant, when the women went to the tomb of Jesus and he was risen from the dead, who was there? Two angels. I wonder if they were representative of the same angels on the Ark of the Covenant. One of two things will happen because of your sin. Either you will die for it eternally or Jesus will die for it in your place. A gift. You know, as a youth pastor, I paid attention to what happened in California because I knew within five years, whatever was happening, whatever the trends were in California, within five years, they'd be on the East Coast and I would be dealing with it. Now with the internet, it's much, much faster. It happens much quicker. But what's happening in California right now and, and in some other cities in our, all over the country, you've got some school boards making some horrible decisions. You've got one school board in California who's put a book in their library that teaches adolescent children how to edit nude pictures of themselves. There's a book written to teach them that. You have another school board that is aggressively helping children transition to another sex. And they have an agenda to keep it hidden from the parents. Listen, when you see what's happening over there, it makes its way over here. God decided that parents are responsible for raising their kids. God made that decision. God decided that there's male and female. God decided who was going to be male and who was going to be female. God decided. God made marriage for a man and a woman. God decided. God made sexual relationships for only marriage. God decided. God made the Ten Commandments. God decided. God set the days of our life of when we're going to be born and when we're going to die. He's decided. God defines sin. He's decided. God determines what is an abomination. He decided. God has set a date for the return of Jesus. He has already decided. God has designed a purpose for your life. He decided. God gave you two great commandments. Love him and love others. God decided. 
God gave you the great commission to make disciples. He decided. The only decision you get to make of any consequence is whether you say yes or no to Jesus. No other decision you make compares to that decision. And if you say yes to Jesus, then you get to spend eternity with him. You, you accept the, the payment he's made for your sin, and God will bless you. And I want to tell you, these churches that are making their churches politically correct, the moment they do that, the Holy Spirit leaves that church. He is gone. And only confession and repentance will bring him back. So what are you going to decide? I, I want to... I just want to have a time where we can confess. And this time is very personal. We're just going to open up the altar. We've already taken up the offering. We're not going to do that now. We've already done it. And I want you to just stay seated for a moment, and I'm going to pray. But as you're seated, as I'm praying, I want you to just come out, and you kneel at the front here, and do business, God, do business with God about your sins. Because he takes them very serious. Even as a believer, he takes them serious. And you agree with God that he's right and you're not. And don't compare yourself to anybody else because he doesn't. And so you say, God, you've decided that what I'm doing is wrong and I want to confess that. You said in your word that what I'm doing is a sin, and I confess that. God, Jesus is my Savior, but he's not my Lord. I'm still on the throne in my life, and I confess that. Jesus, I, I confess. Forgive me. And you've already decided that you would if I confess. Thank you. So I'm going to pray. As I'm praying, you slip out. You come. You kneel. You pray. Stand if you can't kneel. Whatever. You come. Father, it's all about what you think. You set the definitions. Not us. You say, what is sin? What is wickedness? Not us. Forgive me of my haughty heart. Forgive me for not taking your word serious. Forgive me for being more concerned about what people think instead of what you think. Forgive me for believing the lies of this world.
Forgive me of my prayerlessness. Forgive me for not taking your holy word serious. Young people, you come. I know you're faced with challenging things at school. You come and tell God you're going to do it his way. you're willing to be ridiculed misunderstood at work at school wherever come humble yourself before holy God